Hi, I'm Princess Rara. And I'm Dara, the Electro Khaleesi. And this is Pink Kink, the podcast where we talk about the pretty, twisted side of kink. Today's episode is produced by our electrifying pink kinksters. Thank you to the ESW, Jay, Tempest, Brianna Lynn, Daddy J, Embers, William P, Lady, Claire, Jam Today, Mr. N and Mrs. Jess, Mistress Good Girl, Lady Blooding, Sea Dog, Six and Eight, Cassie, Primal Empress, Kaze, Harley Gentleman, Roxy, Mistress Francesca, Slut Queenie, Alice Dash, Totoro and Bunnykins, Butte Payne, Cat, Stefan, Brooklyn B, Run for Cover, Serenity Deb, Liv, and Ruby R. Pink Kink runs off the generosity of our devoted patrons. As a patron, you will become a member of our special Discord server, receive some adorable Pink Kink stickers, as well as have access to a monthly behind-the-scenes podcast. In addition, our impactful and electrifying Pink Kinksters will get special audio and video episodes. And finally, patrons at our highest tier will be recognized as producers both here on the podcast and on our website. If you would like to become a patron, you can visit us at patreon.com slash pinkkinkpodcast or click the link at pinkkinkpodcast.com. One of the questions I get asked a lot is why I do the things that I do. By me. I ask you. You ask me and everybody else. All the time. When it comes to impact and and needles and staples and the crazy shit I do. And why do I like pain so much? Yeah. Why? Well, it's not been so easy for me to fully explain it. I'm getting better, but it's still difficult for me to get people to understand why I would want to do something so painful and get such enjoyment out of it. Then I came across this amazing book called Hurts So Good by Lee Coward. And as I read that book, I just kept screaming, going, oh, my God, yes, yes, this, this, I understand it, I get it, this, this explains it. Uh, The whole book is about the concept of pain as pleasure. And I knew that, like, if I could reach out and Lee would be willing to be interviewed by us, I might get verklempt. She's already verklempt. I'm a little bit (laughs) verklempt. She's she's been fangirling about this day. Oh, my God. I've just, yeah. So I've been reaching out every day. I'm like, three more days. Okay, two more days. Okay, one more day. Okay, today's the day. Oh today's the day. Like, I got here this morning and all I heard was, today we get to interview the masochist author. Oh my God. Yeah, I might have been doing a happy dance. A little bit. So, just a little bit. A little bit. So it is with great pleasure and a whole lot of fangirling <laughs> that I would like to introduce Lee Cowart, the author of Hurt So Good, The Science and Culture of Pain on Purpose. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Best title, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Best. (laughs) Love. So I was really excited to talk to you because, as I said, it's it's the first time I've actually seen anything that sort of helps explain me Mm. and the things that I do and why I do them. And I mean, it took me a long time to even use the word masochist Mm. Mm -hmm. because of all the negative connotation around that word. A lot of baggage. Yeah. I just had difficult time even admitting it. Mm. Well, so, there's there's a lot of stuff in the kink world that we all have a really hard time admitting because it's not socially acceptable. So for a lot of us growing up with that, it took a while mm. 
Like, the listeners all know my story. It took me over two years, almost three years, to accept that I was a little. Mm. Yeah, I started out saying I'm a pain slut. And then I finally confessed to being a masochist. <laughs> like, hi, my name is Rara, and I am a masochist. Confessed? <laughs> confessed, yeah. But uh, So you state that at its core, masochism is about choosing pain on purpose mm-hmm. for a reason, mm-hmm. right? So w- where did that whole word come from, and... and- how, do we still define it that way today? Uh, sure. The The history of the word masochism is fully bonkers and actually a little bit mean. Um, it's named <laughs> after this one dude's sexual paraphilia. It's named after basically one guy's boner, Leopold von Sacker-Massac. <laughs> and we know him. <laughs> yeah. That one what? guy. That one guy. Um, we know him today as the author of Venus and Furs. And what was happening is that uh, Massoc was writing these books about being domed by these like mean Slavic women in furs. And everybody loved them. They loved these books. They sold really well. He was a full-time writer. And then it came out that it, um, it wasn't fiction. He was actually living this. And I'm not trying to valorize this person because he had his own faults. But this uh, researcher, Richard von Kraft Ebbing, uh, we know him now as the author of Psychopathia Sexualis, which came out in 1886, and it's one of the first European texts about sexual pathology. And Richard von Kraft Ebbing, who actually worked at the same university as Sacher Massach, only just a little bit later. So they were kind of contemporary. They definitely knew each other. Kraft Ebbing finds out that Massoc is actually a little freak and then names an entire sexual paraphilia about this guy. He calls it (laughs) masochism, does not tell him he's doing this. And then the book comes out and suddenly Massoc is the eponym for this deviant desire to be punished and made to suffer and all of this. It ruins Massoc's career. People were like, whoa, no, no, that was only cool when it was fiction. Now we know you're a freak for real and we don't like you. Yeah. Oh my God. That's hilarious. I know, right? Like, and so we have today, we still use the word masochism. And, but it still comes with all of this baggage of, of the way the word started. Um, it meant this very specific uh, sex thing. And now today in Merriam-Webster, a masochist is someone who takes pleasure in pain and suffering. We use it in a colloquial way. We use it to describe marathoners and, you know, pepperheads and polar plungers and kinksters and grad students and nail biters. You know, the umbrella is large. Anybody in education? Yes. <laughs> Basically, if you're in academia, you're probably a masochist. Yeah. Uh, I know I used to be there. And because we have this like image of a masochist as this like freak to be shunned because of all of this like pearl clutching puritanical bullshit that came that is like it's still with us, but it was like definitely around when the word was created. We're kind of stuck in this middle place of being like, yeah, we know it means something else, but also so many Americans are still so directly squeamish about sex that it keeps people from feeling like they can talk about the ways that they opt into aversive experiences for fun. Okay. 
I that is I'm sorry, I can't get over the fact that he named this entire thing after the guy and didn't tell him. <laughs> Surprise. That's funny. <laughs> Not for the dude, but like that's funny. Right. It's like ice cold. <laughs> so you wrote that people have used the tactic of pain on purpose. They've been doing this forever. And it's uh, it's not weird and it's not rare. Why do people seek out pain? Mm. I love that. That's the million dollar question. And yeah, I I need to know why I do yeah. this. Yes, I need to know why she does this. <laughs> there are there are so many reasons why humans would opt into an aversive experience for fun. Um, but I think that the two things you really have to understand to understand uh, the appeal of masochism is that uh, it's completely consent-based and pain is always subjective. So on the consent front, a masochism requires that you op- that you can opt in and opt out. And if you can't, it's not masochism anymore. It's just suffering. You can apply the tenets of masochism um, and the kind of biochemistry of pain and pleasure to suffering to try to get through it, but that's not masochism. That's something else. Masochism is explicitly consensual. And the consent helps create the context for the experience. And that's where this gets really juicy because pain is always 100% subjective every time. There's no like pain molecule that I can measure in your blood. There's no currently no machine I can put your brain in and tell exactly how much pain you're in. There's a great story that I think really exemplifies this. There was a a researcher, actually a pain researcher, who was hiking. And on his hike, he feels uh, feels a sensation on the outside of his leg. And his brain does this checklist. And it's like, okay, well, I have information from the nociceptors on my thigh, the nerves that tell me, the the sensory neurons that tell me that something has happened. And the brain goes, where am I? What am I doing? I'm hiking. It's, I've been here before. I'm not expecting any pain. It was probably a twig. So I'm going to go with twig. Yes, it was a twig. So the brain is like, okay, well, it's a twig and that's what we're going with. And it gives the sensation of a twig and the person keeps hiking. A few minutes later, the person collapses and almost dies because it turns out that that sensation on the outside of the leg was actually an Eastern brown snake, one of the most venomous snakes in the world. No snakes. So he wasn't expecting a snake bite. So his brain didn't give him 10 out of 10 pain. It just was like, oh, whatever, it's a scratch, keep going. Now, he survives the snake bite and goes on to hike again. And later, on his on his next hike out, he's hiking with friends, um, bare-legged again, and he feels a sensation on the outside of his leg. And his brain immediately drops his ass like a whole sack of rocks, gives him 10 out of 10 pain. He is writhing on the ground. He is in excruciating agony. And this time it was a stick. But his brain was prepped for extreme danger, lethal danger, because that's what happened last time. And in that moment, gave him 10 out of 10 pain. That, And then he realized what was going on and his friends laughed at him and it was over. 
Now, would you understand? <laughs> this doesn't mean that pain is. We were, come on, we would laugh at each other too. If a, <laughs> if like- a twig scratched your leg and you dropped to the ground screeching Scre- in agony, yeah. I would so be laughing at you. Oh, my ass would be laughing at you so hard because <laughs> you're the one that would be screaming, Sting! Sting! Well, yeah, that too. Oh my God, it's a sting! Yeah. And I'd be like, that that's a stick. Yeah. <laughs> right? So then again, we would never go hiking. Yeah, well, that that's where we'd be laughing because we'd be going, what are we doing? You want to talk about masochism? We'd be going hiking. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So once once you kind of see that pain, pain is always very real, just because it comes from, from your brain doesn't make it less real. Everything we experience comes from our brains. Uh, pain is very real, but it's very subjective. And when you experience pain, you kind of get to tap into this, uh, this kind of biochemical slurry of feel-good chemicals. Uh, your body has what is called an endogenous morphine system. We refer to that as endorphins. So when you have pain, your body releases like homebrew morphine to make you feel better. Masochism kind of taps into this system of feeling bad to feel better, of feeling bad to feel something else. And consent allows people to create these kind of safe structures in which to experience something that tests them, uh, makes them feel like there's so many different things that people can get out of the pain itself. And then at the end, the pain is over and they're left with some feel good chemicals from their own body and the context allows people to consent to exactly the levels that they want. And that's that's also really important. Um, Dr. Paul Rosen, who is kind of known as the like grandfather of the theory of benign masochism. So Dr. Rosen does this study to see, you know, in people who like aversive experiences, be it BDSM, hot sauce, sad movies, what have you. At what level do they like the aversion to happen? Do they want just a little bit? Do they want more than they can take? And what he found is that for about half of the respondents, they liked it just under what they could take. They liked it just to the edge of when they were about to just travel, enough. right? Just take it right up to the very edge. Um, and I think that's very telling. And I think that wanting to play wanting to use our bodies as a playground is very human and very normal. And for a lot of people, very fun. Sad movies. Mm-hmm. Sad movies counts. If you, if you're like, if you've ever been in a really bad mood and then you just watch a movie that you know is going to break your heart. Cause you got to cry. Oh, yeah. And then afterwards yeah. you do a big cry and you feel a little bit better. That falls. Do that with commercials. <laughs> I know. Movie trailers make me weep like a baby. It's embarrassing. Right? Okay. So, on that note, sorry, this is what we do. Tangent. Was that a, um, I think my husband and I were at the theater and we were going to watch, um, what was that one Marvel movie that it's, um, Cap- it was Captain Marvel. Holy shit. Okay. So, it's Captain Marvel. And in the, the previews was the one about the dog, the racing in the rain. And the dog was like the racer's buddy. And I'm sitting there crying. From this stupid 30-second trailer, my husband's going, well, that's the stupidest fucking movie I've ever seen. What is happening? Looks at me. I've got tears rolling down my face. And he's like, I'm an asshole. <laughs> okay. 
He just he just has no feelings. He's just ice cold. Yeah. <laughs> but like that just reminded me like the trailers do it for me is my point. <laughs> it's just so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> so you you talk about consent and that consent is essential within masculine. You have to consent to the pain. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing this is why I can play with spiked paddles and have a great time, but stub my toe. And oh my God, that's like outrageous pain. Mm-hmm. I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a baby about like paper cuts and stub toes. Okay. Like but hard paper cuts though. No. <laughs> No, really, like I, nobody consents to paper cuts. Like I'd rather get hit with a cane or a whip than get a paper cut. I'd rather get hit with a cane oh, than get a paper okay, cut. That's okay, bad. Have you ever got a paper cut with a tin can that you just opened? Ooh. No, Ooh. I haven't mm-hmm. with a tin can, but that I can't. Oh no, mm-hmm. yeah. no, I've done that. Yeah, I'd rather get caned. <laughs> oh damn, mm-hmm. that says a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You don't know me, but the listeners know that that, that was a major yeah. for me to say right there. It's a hard one. Wow. Paper cuts. That was that was hardcore. Well, that, that, <laughs> that's a really good point. Like the things that we don't consent to, that we don't have power over, most of the time it just feels really bad. It's just like even something as small as like getting my shirt caught on a door handle when I'm in a bad mood. Like I will lose <laughs> my shit. And that's like nothing. But then I'll consent to being like wrapped in saran wrap and hung from the ceiling and beat with a cheese board and just love it. Um, Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I- God. More ideas. <laughs> I'm, taking no- I'm-, I'm taking notes over here for <laughs> scene ideas. Yes. <laughs> it was very fun. I-, I recommend it if you're into that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I- yeah. She is. But can I hit you with a cheese board? Sure. Okay. <laughs> my very first paddle that I bought myself is an actual cheese board mm-hmm. that I got off of like a Groupon special. <laughs> You're sturdy. It was like $5. All right. So you've already got half your props. I got the cheese board. Yeah. <laughs> Just go to Giant and get your uh, saran wrap and then you're good. I've been looking for pink saran wrap. It's hard to find. A very expensive. I bet you could get it from your friendly neighborhood kink store, Amazon. Yeah, that's where I was looking. Trust oh. me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I know as, as somebody who's who's got my own children, we talk a lot about pain helps us learn. You learn, you touch a hot stove, it hurts. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I go and I do a scene with spiked paddles and I know it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And yet I keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, where, where does, how does my masochistic brain Make that connection that hot stove is bad, but spike paddle good. <laughs> that that is such a good question, and it really comes down to uh, what you want to get out of the pain. Like there are many different ways to answer this question, and many different ways to like approach it. But like fundamentally, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what do I want? What what am I getting out of this? What are my expectations for this? And uh, am I in control of, of this scenario? Accidentally burning your hand sucks because you didn't ask for it and you don't have like erotic context around it or playful context or whatever. Um, but like being branded could be very fun um, because you've asked for it, you're expecting it, you desire it, you're aroused and you're kind of like, the electrics of your body are running different programs at that at that moment um, to kind of make a, a, a simplistic metaphor for it. Uh, obviously, bodies are really, really complicated. So whenever I answer these questions, I'm 
trying to generalize and talk through the knowledge gaps that we have. It's hard to study masochists because of all of the the social programming around it. And also because of the fact that typically if you're getting a masochist into a scientific laboratory setting to study them, you've also selected for exhibitionism and it's hard to piece the two apart in the lab. <laughs> right? I mean, me too. Exhibitionist, masochist. Yep. I was like, I'll go sign up and be now, a lab rat. Okay, now you see the why I read the book and I'm like, yes, yes, I get it. <laughs> It's, it spoke to me. Well, and then there's me, who is the complete and total opposite of that. But I was thinking about you reading it because you're the one who get, who teases me the most and asks me the most questions. Like, what is wrong with you that you do this? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to find answers for you. Okay. No, I love it. No, I love the why behind the things. That's why I'm like really not saying it. That's why I'm so uh, into this. <laughs> interview i'm not allowed to say a certain word on the podcast anymore she can't say the word interesting because she says it a lot <laughs> she says so I, all the time i do <laughs> oh it's it's good to be seen <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be known by your loved ones <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah we're basically like our, our entire relationship is we're, we're pretty much sisters and we just torture each other. As good sisters do. This is our whole relationship. I don't know how we have any kind of working relationship whatsoever because all we do is argue with each other. Talking <laughs> shit is a love language. Yeah. I'm a sadomasochist, so I'm happy whether I'm torturing you or being tortured. I'm good. So I had a realization. Yes. I'm not the lab rat. I'm the lab person. I'm I'm the Correct. scientist that's You're the observing one taking you, the notes. Mm -hmm. and I'm the lab rat, and I'm so okay with that. <laughs> Next question: People seem to accept and understand everything. Like you mentioned before, people that were doing this, like the polar bear plungers or the people that eat the peppers for fun, mm -hmm. ballerinas. You had mentioned uh, marathon runners. All of these people that you said are considered masochists. Why is that more acceptable than someone who likes to get hit for fun? For fun. I think there are a couple things going on here. One is something that's already come up, which is the squeamishness and pearl clutching around sexuality. Uh, the other, I think that certain masochistic endeavors like running and sports and even competitive pepper eating kind of get draped in the dignity of athleticism. Uh, we don't judge mar ultra marathon runners who literally run until they throw up, pass out, blackout, and nearly die. The way that I do, we I judge that. <laughs> right? You're like, okay. actually, no. That's because you're mean. But, uh, why would you want to just? Mi I don't get that. I, I seriously don't get that. You were never a runner. No. Yeah, I was. Okay, I'm sorry. I just no. no. <laughs> Go ahead. It's okay. So it's it's more like um. What we have uh, cultural awareness of outside sexuality um, and tends to allow people to kind of like filter it through the like a, a more dignified lens. Like, look, they are they are pushing the limits of the human body. Um, and it seems like as long as sex isn't involved, people are more open to talking about it. But once you bring a sexual aspect into it, uh, people can become very uh, kind of pinched about it. And often that speaks to an inability or a fear of looking inward. 
Because if we can effectively other the masochists, the sexual masochists, and say that there's something fundamentally different and maybe even wrong about people who experience sexual gratification from pain, then we can separate ourselves from them and be like, I'm not like them, I'm okay. But the reality is, is there's no separation there. We all, to varying degrees, play with aversive experiences, and we all have our own sexual fetishes and enjoyment. And the project of othering the masochist is foolish and and cruel and not based in reality. Um, one of the things that I know within the kink community that gets talked a lot about is the level of pain. Mm. You know, there are people who who argue that in order to be a masochist, it has to be a high level of pain. Mm. And I, you know, and I have to admit, I used to be one of those people. Like that's until until you're doing play where you end up bleeding. It's not really masochism. Mm. But that's not true, is it? The, the mm. level of pain has nothing to do with it. No, no. Um, so much of it comes down to there's so many other factors other than just the pressure of the impact that affect the pain that we feel. And also like, if you have been in this situation before, if you know this person, you know, sexual arousal can increase pain tolerance, but so can desire and context. Um, And the, you know, if other people are there, if this is something you've desired for a long time, if it's spontaneous, there are like a million little variables that come into play every time we have a painful sensation. And so it makes sense that we would play with these variables and tweak these knobs, so to speak, <laughs> because there there is such a variety of expression that we can have from our own bodies. I, I consider myself to have a pretty high pain tolerance in most scenes, but I when it comes to like needle play... Um, I I feel needle play very, very, very acutely. I am scared of needles and I have a lot of medical trauma. And so using needles in a sexual context is very fun for me, but it's also like a much more intense scene than an impact play scene because it's getting into some of the like much gooier uh, core of my body and like places that I might not think about or go in my daily life. So my threshold for scenes like that is obviously going to be very different than my threshold for getting like paddled at a party, different environment, different vibe, different headspace. And all of this stuff is just constantly sloshing around in our bodies like soup. And then we try to make meaning of it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know you mentioned the tie between exhibitionism and masochism. I am a I am a definite exhibitionist and. I definitely find the larger the audience and the crowd mm-hmm. that is watching, the more pain I can absolutely take in a scene. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, something I get into in the book, some in the polar plunge scene is the effect of group dynamics on pain tolerance. And they did a study with rowers and they found that um, you know, people who rode had higher pain tolerance for their activities if they were doing it with other people versus rowing alone. Humans are hyper social and, you know, we really, the expectation of the group can carry a huge weight for, for us. And it's like, I used to be, I was a ballet dancer, uh, unsurprisingly, <laughs> I turned into a masochist. I've always been this way. And, you know, taking point class, you know, when we first got our point shoes and we're taking point classes, like 
the effect of dancing with other people and being watched by my teachers vastly changed my pain tolerance because now I wasn't only thinking of the sensation within my body, but I was aware of the expectation of the watchers and maybe in the desire of them. And so in a sexual context, in a kink scene, if you know that there are people getting off on watching you, it's reasonable to think that that would affect the contextual application of your pain response. I'm going to jump off on that one more thing. Um, Cause I'm curious on your thoughts on this. We've had, um, I belong to a, a chat group of ladies who are all kinksters. And we talk about pain. And I seem to be the only one who likes pain for myself. Mm. I do it for me. We have a couple of other ladies who are like, well, I don't do pain for me. I do it for my partner. Mm. It makes my partner happy for me to take the pain. Would you still put that under the masochist umbrella? Yes. Yes, I would. Uh, There are so many things that we can get out of pain when we opt into it. It can be sexual gratification. It can be testing our own limits. It can be, you know, kind of resilience as fetish. It can be pleasing a partner. I mean, the list is so long. But, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to the question of what about people who just like pain for pain versus people who like pain for other things involved? Um, the reality is we are experiencing painful sensation through the meat of our bodies. And I like to bring up ice cream. <laughs> it seems a little out of field, but stay with me. If, <laughs> if you have an ice cream cone, uh, you've desired the ice cream, you've taken steps to get it. You've made the choice for the ice cream. And then when you eat the ice cream, it's, it's not an ethereal thing. You are literally using your body and reacting to the ice cream. You have the fat and the sugar and the taste and the gratification of getting something you want. So do you like ice cream or do you like, like ice cream, the object, or do you like the practice of using your body and reacting to the ice cream and having the full experience of the ice cream integrated into your meat suit? And so with pain, it's like, do I just like pain this thing? Or do I like the experience of pain in my body holistically? Do I like what I get out of it? Not just that moment of sensation, but everything before, during and after that comes with it. Okay. I want ice cream now. I I was just thinking that. Can we get ice cream? (laughs) After, after we're done. Okay. Okay. I'm, like I'm going to just tell you right now, I definitely like the experience of actually eating the ice cream. Mm-hmm. But I don't... I, actual ice cream, not like the metaphor ice cream that she was talking about, like the ice cream ice cream. Uh, yeah, I figured that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In the book, you talked about the polar bear plunge, and you've mentioned um, you've mentioned that a couple times so far in the interview. And you said that it was not something you were very excited about. No. <laughs> so how do you recognize the limits of what type of pain you're like looking forward to and what type of pain you're just like, no, Mm. because you were consenting to do the polar bear plunge. Yes. So where's your line? I think that there are a couple different ways to approach this question. One of them is what are my expectations for this? Do I expect it to be worth it? Uh, Have I done this before? Why do I want this? 
what is the resistance in me to wanting to do this? And sometimes the resistance is like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to be permanently injured. And that's good. It's good to listen to those. It keeps you in your body and aware of like why you are here. In the case of the polar plunge, um, I really, I really hate the cold, but that makes <laughs> it like very tantalizing to play with. And I am a masochist. So the idea of doing something that I really hate and getting something out of it is a game that I love to play. In the case of the polar plunge, I did it with um, someone I love very much. And then also this huge group of people. And I'd never done it before. I've never run into the cold brine on New Year's Day and screamed bloody murder And what a strange story to give myself. What a weird thing to do. Like, that's just fucking weird. Why would, why would humans do that? It's silly. Um, it taps into group dynamics. I ran into the ocean with hundreds of people screaming their heads off, having the worst fucking morning. And we're all just out there in the water flailing around like idiots, just laughing and screaming and crying. And there was so much catharsis there. And so I knew that I would probably hate it, and I did, but that I would look back on it and laugh because what a stupid thing to do. And how fun it was to just do something so different from my normal sensory inputs that it just iced out everything in my brain. Empty brain, just one thought, and that one thought was, I hate this. It iced (laughs) out everything in your brain, huh? Yes. Yes. She funny. <laughs> Pun intended, they, they I think. definitely are funny. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to know, you talk about people who do this explicitly for the pain mm-hmm. versus people who do things and pain is just part of it, mm-hmm. but they aren't ex- doing it for the experience of feeling that pain. Can you just kind of explain that a little bit more? Sure. I think it's hard for me to differentiate um between sensation and the everything else that happens because of that sensation. Like people who say they just like the pain, they're also getting all of the same good brain drugs as other people. And that's a part of it. And they're also bringing their expectation and their desire for the pain to it. People who say that they do it for not the pain specifically, but what they get out of the pain are also still opting into that pain, absolutely, and still going through that process to get to the end result, which is feeling the way that they want to feel, an altered state, a quiet brain, arousal. Uh, So for some people, I think it's really neat the way that bodies interpret and react to pain so differently. And that pain itself can be pleasurable, to some people and that other people are really in it for the pleasures of after the pain is gone. I think those both nestle really closely together under the umbrella of masochism and have a lot in common with each other. And there's a lot of overlap between those two approaches. And since they're so similar, it can be hard to find the line exactly uh, between the two where one becomes the other. Well, speaking of ice and water, (laughs) You mentioned ice water and guilt study. Mm-hmm. And it's how people 
who written about their guilt, held their hands under the ice water for longer and they experienced more pain, but felt less guilty afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, Robert, you had well, a comment it, yeah. about that. You it, said it reminded me of the submissives who like break rules and disappoint their dom and then ask for a spanking because once the spanking is done and they've received their punishment, like the guilt is gone. Yes. So it sounds like Catholic penance. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think many of us are socialized in a judicial model of of punishment that involves pain. Um, pain as absolution, pain as kind of transmuting guilt into uh, into forgiveness. Since pain brings us unequivocally into the present moment and is fundamentally aversive for most people, having a painful experience, is a way to kind of create a bookmark in your life that says, I did something bad, but then I suffered and that makes up for it. And that is something that we see repeated in cultures around the world for thousands of years. So mea culpa. One of my favorite lines in the book is understanding the link between the experience of pleasure and the experience of pain. However, it reveals that all of us get pleasure from pain. And I was sort of fascinated by that because I would imagine there's a lot of people who would say, no, I don't. <laughs> nope. Like this one right, this nope. one right here. Shake my no, head already. No, I don't. No, I, don't. <laughs> I think that there's a spectrum of masochism. And at one end, you have people who never eat spicy food, never use a water temperature that feels anything but lukewarm, never push their bodies or stretch in a way that's a little too much, that feels a little too intense, that stay as as static as possible. And from that, you have people who, you know, you get in the shower and it's a little bit hotter than you want and you kind of like it. Or you go outside on the first cold day of winter and it's colder than you want, but you like it. You put a little bit of hot sauce on your food. You bite your nails when you're nervous there are all of these little ways that we dabble in something that's other than pure pleasure. And it creates a context for us that allows us to experience pleasure more fully. They're two sides of the same coin. And I don't think there's anyone who's been able to fully optimize their life to feel no aversion, uh, emotional, physical, otherwise. Um, and there's this whole world sliding scale of aversive experiences that people dabble in. Like, think about tattoos, piercings. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> All these things now. She's got tattoos. She would bite her nails. Uh, <laughs> I feel very called out right now. Yes, you are. I like very hot showers <laughs> to the point where um, my husband had to turn up the, the initial temp in the water heater. Just to get it hot enough for me. Right? Yeah, I'm very, very called out right now. Damn it's it. It's very human and it's very normal. We just culturally currently have some blocks around talking about the ways that we use aversion for pleasure. Okay. I do not <laughs> identify as a masochist, okay? You don't have to. Rara would be so happy for me to actually say it. <laughs> it's okay. I, I accept that you, you cannot say it. Yeah. It, <laughs> that's all right there's really only room for one masochist in this in this group here and that would be me you can have it thank you <laughs> um there was a whole section in the book about hook suspensions <laughs> yes which is something that i've i've watched and i thought it was 
stunning and beautiful. I'm very curious about it. I will say right now, my answer is I wouldn't do it. But I used to say that about needles and staples, and I do them all the time now. So check back with me again in another year or two. I may be willing to do hook suspension by then. I'm not recording yeah. that in an episode. No, you don't have to record it. It's okay. You no. don't even have to show up no. to watch it. It's all good. <laughs> but there was there was a quote in there from the man who does it, and this absolutely spoke to me. He says, I do it for the excitement of pushing my body's pain threshold to deeper levels the trance I go into, and the rush that follows. And he likens it to a drug, but one without harsh side effects. Mm. And I really so felt that because when I've tried to describe to Dar and other people who, who wanted to know, they're like, oh, so it just doesn't hurt that much when you do this? And I'm like, no, it hurts. But to me, it's a mountain. Yes. And I need to get to that top of that mountain. And then once I'm up at that mountain, I've conquered it. Mm-hmm. And I've conquered the damn mountain. And I will joke with my tops. It's like, you want, go ahead, try to break me. I double dog dare you to try to break me. <laughs> Whatever you dish out, I can take without a problem. And it's a challenge. Yeah. And that's how I get, why are you staring at me like that? That's how I get through my pain. It's like, it is a challenge. I know it's going to hurt, but damn it, I'm going to get through it. And I, I would, similar to, I'm sure, marathon runners, mm-hmm. there's an end. You just got to make it through to the end. Right. And what, what a gift to give yourself to prove to yourself what you can do. I think, I think. Yeah. I mean, talk about high, feeling higher than a kite. Yes. You, you, you accomplished it. You climbed that mountain. You made it. Dars, look at me. She has no understanding of this concept. I got nothing. Hey, <laughs> I don't do the running thing. I don't do the hiking thing. I don't do the mountain climbing thing. I think the last time I tried to do a climb was on one of those rock walls with Girl Scouts when I was like 10. <laughs> and I passed out. <laughs> I, I, am the, I am not athletic, okay? We've already established if I run or do a jumping jack, my tits fall off. Yeah. Okay. They, they have binders now, so you know we. I can... should probably get one and try running in that and yeah. see what happens. That might that might actually work. I I always said I would never be a runner, um, and I I had to start running because I I just just crazy just deep in the depression spiral, and I was finally like I was finally willing to try it. <laughs> Um, but I have to run, uh, in this like enormous, like compression vest with like zippers and straps yep. and like, just put it all in there. Gotta smash those puppies down. Don't I, you? It, otherwise it hit me in the face. I can't be running out there getting hit in the it face. Just, it just, it just adds to the whole masochistic experience. <laughs> I literally did a jumping jack without a bra once and I thought my tits fell off. Yeah. I have never been in such excruciating pain in my life. Right? Try going over speed bumps when you're not wearing a bra. Ouch. Oh. <laughs> I, they just do what they want. They're just out there yeah. flying around. Do you just do that shit for fun? <laughs> no, just sometimes I really don't want to put on a bra and I still have to go places. Yeah. God, I'm like holding them right now and it just, they're so... So, oh, okay, you're lo- you're talking to the lady who lets who lets the boobs be hit yeah. and came and having, paddled and spiked paddled. I'm and- having sympathy pain right now, like on camera. Sympathy I'm just clutching pain. my boobs and. <laughs> anyway, can we move on? Yes, I'm so sorry. So you were talking about ice cream before, so that's that's where I been going. Where you came with up this. with this, okay? Um, you were talking about flavors of masochism. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know if you could explain that a little bit. Oh, yeah. 
Um, the thing about masochism is it is very common and very normal to only be into certain aspects of it. Just like you only like certain kind of music or whatever, or what your mood is. I'm not always in the mood for a really heavy scene. Um, and like cold water masochism is like not usually my go-to, um, but I'll do it. <laughs> Those tend to be more intense scenes for me. Um, flavors of masochism could be either based on what you want to get out of it. Like I want to feel victorious. I want to feel submissive. I want to feel like I have no thoughts left in my brain whatsoever. And I'm actually just goo and fluids. Or it could be about what kind of sensation you want. The flavor of masochism could be like, I want burning. I want stinging. I want cold. I want impact. Blood. I want blood. <laughs> and so there are all these different ways that you can approach. There's so many different types of aversive sensation. And you really get to like pick and choose what kind of bad feelings you want. And there's no like one way to do this. And lots of people experiment with different types of aversive feelings throughout their life. There's just like a lot to pick from when it comes to the like smorgasbord of pain for pleasure. Smorgasbord. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> a smorgasbord of pain for pleasure. It's the best kind of scene there is. <laughs> is it like you can do that with a shark coochie board? Yes. <laughs> I always have to call it shark coochie. I can't say charcuterie anymore. It's no, just shark coochie is it's much shark funnier. Coochie. Yeah. It's because shark coochie is funnier. <laughs> it's way better. That is way better. Um, you talked about how you used to be a ballet dancer mm -hmm. and now and, and the pain you had through that. And it looks like now you've found other means <laughs> to address that issue. And, and it's interesting because I had never put this together until more recently. I used to be a runner. Oh. I would run five miles a day which I had to get, I absolutely loved it. It was similar to my impact scenes. It was like, there's an end and you know that and you're just going to get through it. And it was the, the goal of accomplishing it. And I had to give it up because it was not good for my knees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I finally, I think it must've been about, God, it's probably been 20 years ago now at this point, which is scary. I accomplished one goal, which was to run a 10K. And I always joke that I'm going to be, I'm going to run a marathon as soon as I'm on Medicaid and I can get my knees replaced for free. <laughs> but and I'll be that and I'm gonna be that old lady that the news story does thing. Oh, look at that 75 year old running her first marathon. It took um, ten months for her to finish, but my God, she's yes, doing right. it. But I finished it, and that's the point. <laughs> um and I I, I realized that like the same feelings, because it really came to me when people say, Well, what do you feel like when you do an impact scene? I said, Well, it's like a runner's high. Mm. And I went, Oh, yeah. I was a masochist back then when I would run five miles a day, and, and now look at me. I mean, how did you make that connection from the, the pain in ballet to now doing it through through kink? Um, I think as, first of all, there was just the natural curiosity and desire that brought me to it. And then in the project of researching this book and writing this book, and, you know, I I personally needed a book like this to exist, and it didn't. And... I had questions about why am I like this? Why am I, why do I mm -hmm. like this shit? Like, why am I like this? And started investigating that and then realized that, oh my God, so many people are like this. Wait, what are we all doing? Why are we doing this? And then I became very deeply interested into the bodily experience of masochism, 
what is happening in the body of a masochist? What's happening in our brains? What's coursing through our blood? What do we get out of it? And how do our brains make sense of this desire and this reward? And, you know, I really love to suffer in pursuit of a goal. I grew up in ballet. I started when I was four and I grew up in an environment where endurance and high pain tolerance were rewarded um, and praised. And so, you know, I have a bit of nature nurture going on in my brain. Obviously, you know, there's something, I feel like there's something inherited or, or from my parents, you know, my, my dad hiked the AT trail as his retirement gift to himself. Like, <laughs> that's so cool. He hiked the fat pads off his feet as soon as he retired. So I feel like I come by masochism <laughs> very honestly, but then I grew up in ballet. And so I just have these layers of cultural programming while also interacting with the reality of the experience of a body, what my brain actually lights up about. And it's really fun to dig into why I am the way I am. And I know that I'll never really have a satisfying answer because all of my answers just bring more questions. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to dig in this hole and find, you know, comrades, like, why are we like this? Why do you like this? Have you ever asked yourself that out loud in the middle of a scene? Because, you know, I might have. Many, <laughs> I think I many probably times. have. <laughs> Where in the middle of the scene, I just kind of, especially because I said I'm an exhibitionist, so I've always got an audience. Mm. And I'll just kind of look at them. I'm like, why do I do this? What is my problem? <laughs> yeah. And I'm usually part of that audience. And we, I just go, nobody effing knows, Rara. <laughs> we all want to know the question. same question. <laughs> when you got an answer. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's a big part of, of this book that I enjoyed so much was getting to talk to hundreds and hundreds of masochists and just ask people directly, like, why do you do this? And what do you get out of this? And why do you think that is? And then to just kind of receive all of these answers. You know, there are so many things that people get out of pain. Pain as ritual, pain as release, pain as catharsis. And I think that's so beautiful that humans can use their bodies in all these different ways to fundamentally change the state of their emotional interior. That is pretty cool. If you ever do a follow-up book, you know, you know how to reach me now. <laughs> I do. Can talk. <laughs> I imagine I will. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this topic. One of the things that I really wanted to know is when does it cross the line mm. of just being self-harm mm. at some point? Right. So like Rara does this thing where like she got a new paddle. And she's like, oh, I got a new paddle. And it, it was like during the pandemic, yeah. during shutdown, she got this paddle. Spiked paddle. Spiked paddle. And she sits there and just whacks herself on the thighs and just like, oh, yeah, I love this paddle. And I'm like, isn't that like just self-harm at that point? Like where where does it cross that line into it? Because you said it's for it can be for release. It can be for catharsis. Like these are all buzzwords to me. In in the psychology behind, you know, somebody just cutting themselves for release mm -hmm. or for that's where my brain goes for part of this anyway. I think, so like, where's the crossover? I think that's a really important question. And I do go into it in the book. And full disclosure, I have I when I left ballet, uh, I was in my early 20s. And I, I collapsed into a, an enormous just pile of despair and anger. 
I was, ballet was incredibly abusive and, but I loved it. And when I left ballet, um, all I was left with was my rage and I didn't have an outlet for it. And I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And I didn't have the words for it. And I turned that rage inwards and it almost killed me. Now, fast forward 15 years, I'm great. Uh, I go to therapy twice a week, have for a while. I am settled. I am healthy. I'm well-nourished. And I still like pain. And that made me very curious about like, okay, well, what changed? What changed in me? And what? where is the line for other people? And I talked to a lot of experts about this. Like, when does pain on purpose become self-harm? When is it dangerous? And something that is really important to consider is, why am I doing this? What do I expect to get out of this? Do I feel like I can stop? Do I feel like this is damaging me in a way that is outside of the purview of the immediate release of what I want? You know, I didn't really start to make progress therapeutically until a therapist asked me, like, became curious about what I was getting out of, of the self-harm in my early 20s. Am I eating? Like, what purpose was this serving? Because yes, it's a symptom. And yes, it was dangerous. And yes, it had gotten to the point where I needed to stop and was having trouble. But no one had really been like, what do you get out of this? They were just like, oh my God, you have to stop. But the reality is what I was getting out of it was something that I needed in other parts of my life. I needed community and I needed catharsis and I needed to feel like I had the support I needed to manage the big feelings that were eating me alive. When examining your own life and your own interest in play, I think people get hung up on not wanting to look so closely at their patterns because there's this idea that a life must be sanitized before being engaged with critically, but like that will never happen. We are messy. We are emotional. You know, we all have just years and years of experience and trauma and joy and desire and all of those things kind of congeal into the actions that we take the, and the patterns that we create in our lives. And I think a, creating a willingness to really look into why you do what you do and what you're getting out of it. And if you look inward and you realize that the reason you are engaging in certain behaviors is punitive towards yourself or is trying to achieve damage instead of just release, then I think that's something that needs to be brought into the light and, and really looked at and talked about because we cannot really see clearly our motivations unless we're willing to get into the murky waters that obfuscate uh, the real source of our desire and the source of our need. Oof. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a good segue into a section you talk about wi within the ultra marathon where you asked, where were the lines between informed adult consent and a form of torture that no one should be encouraged to dabble in? You know, how do you recognize that line? It's hard. It's hard sometimes. It's not a clear line. You know, when I was watching the ultra marathon, I was like, I had moments where I was just like, should I fucking be here? Should I be watching this? Should this be happening? Like, am I participating in something that is dangerous enough that like, I like, what am I doing? Why are we doing this? But you know, those were adults who trained for this, who consented to it, who could stop at any time. And there were most people had 
you know, like there were other people there helping the runners out and assisting them. But I think we have to be willing to discuss the harm that is done in masochistic endeavors in order to create limits and boundaries for ourselves. And there are other areas of masochistic activity that don't get the same scrutiny. I would argue that there's a lot we could say about American football. Um, it's very damaging. It's painful. It's damaging. It has long-term effects, but it's so culturally ingrained as okay that we don't look at it. And mm-hmm. all I'm really trying to do is get people to feel like they can be honest with themselves and not feel shame about their desires and their actions. Bring those desires and actions into the light and feel like it's okay for them to look at them and really try to interact with themselves gently about why they want what they want. I felt so isolated in my 20s with my, you know, once the self-harm started to go away and I was healing and I still had these impulses, I felt like a pariah. Like, how can I have been in such a deep pit and use these harmful methods to cope and then heal and then still want to use some of those painful things. It made me feel like I was a bad person. But the reality is that's not true. I just like what I like. And in my in my daily life now, I do it in a way that brings me joy. It feels like it enriches my life to engage with pain deliberately. And I try to be very aware of the reasons and the impulses behind it. If I am in a really bad mood you know, do I want catharsis or do I want to damage myself? And if actually I'm in a headspace where I don't think I, I would be safe calling my limits, I don't play because I don't really, I love myself. I don't really want to hurt myself in the long run. I want to experience aversive sensation and enjoy that game. But like, I very much love myself and my body. And I want to keep these precious things, these precious juggling balls in motion and be able to continue having fun and being present and living this life. Yeah. I mean, this is why it was so hard for me to acknowledge the masochism, Mm. right? You know, the fact that, yes, I enjoy being hit with spike paddles to the point of bleeding and that's the goal and all that. You know, people judge that and they look at you strangely. But when I was running five miles a day and sometimes I would end up peeing blood afterward. Mm. What? Well, because your insides are just whopping all over the place. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it never happened like the first pee would be blood and then after that it would be fine. So I wasn't overly worried about it. But I would freak the fuck out. That's well, but that's my point. Nobody thinks twice about that. They're right. like, oh, yeah, good for you. You're running every day. That's great right. exercise. It's good for your heart. It's, you know, clears your mind out. Like that was okay if I did that. Mm-hmm. But this other stuff where I'm playing safely with people who know what they're doing, the worst that happens is I get scabs and I have, as I joke, I have permanent dots on my butt. You could pretty much play connect the dot on my ass. Which she shows me all the time. Which I'm totally fine with. I can't see it. So it's good. It's back there. I don't, I I can't see it. But like, that's not okay. But the running to the point that you pee, that's good. Yeah, it's it's really wild how compartmentalized thinking is about masochism and how certain types of masochism are really shunned and shamed. Um, and, you know, I I think about like when I was a ballet dancer and I was starving myself and I was dancing, you know, 10 hours a day and I was miserable. Everyone was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You're doing so amazing. But now that I, you know, like 
get spanked until I cry with a loving partner, which I think is really fucking wholesome. I think it's really sweet. And people are like, what? You're a freak. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you would (laughs) like demarcate between the two like that. Um, And that's what I'm hoping to do with this book is just to make people feel like it's okay to talk out loud and to share with your loved ones that you like this stuff. Yeah, I I think the pointing out of all the other ways that people do masochism that they never thought about in the same umbrella as BDSM with the with the running with the polar bear plunge Mm -hmm. with this. Eating the spicy peppers. Mm -hmm. Having ultra hot showers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Having ultra hot showers. Like you wouldn't think of that. And I think the more we can point that out, maybe, hopefully, more people will understand. Yeah. So weirdly enough, I'm going through a little bit of an existential crisis right now because I know. making you think you're masochist? Yeah. No. Because (laughs) Listen, though, because I love electro. I love giving electro. I love receiving electro. That's some stingy ass pain. It is. Getting the head scratcher on the top of your head that's electrified, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's straight up orgasmic. And it's still pain. Yeah. So. But you've never viewed it as pain, have you? No. But I intellectually, I know that it is pain. Yeah. When I run it up and down my, like, I also give lessons on this stuff. So, like, the other day I was giving somebody a lesson and he said, well, do you have to test it on your arm every time you switch, um, how, turn it up or whatever? And I said, absolutely. You need to know what your bottom is feeling. So if you can't handle it on yourself, you should not be doing it to other people. And I realized sometimes I'll stand there at parties or conventions and do this for like six, eight hours. And I'll have literal electrical burn marks up and down my arm. For days afterwards, I'll sit there and rub my arm, <laughs> rub the electrical burns. Welcome to the Welcome, club. Friend. We have cookies. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh shit. It's that's so funny. <laughs> so many people have had your exact response to this book. They're just like, I'm not a master. Oh shit. And that's what they're going like, oh shit. Yeah. It's that all <laughs> shit moment where they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I'm like, yeah, see, it's everywhere. It's cool. It's chill. It's fine. Welcome to the club. We're all here. I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get beat. You don't have to. That's, that's okay. But I think it might have some masochistic tendencies oh my goodness i'm so excited (laughs) well i think you're gonna like this part dara so we spent spent a lot of time talking about the physical masochism Mm -hmm. this is the part that i wanted to get into but going down your road and the things that you love what about the emotional masochism you know humiliation degradation that's that's emotional masochism yes it is yes that's where i'm at that is absolutely under the umbrella um, emotional masochism is just as potent, you know, like if it's not, yeah, I would say it's, it's definitely, definitely in the, in the club of masochistic endeavors, being humiliated feels bad. And then for some people it feels better. If you know what I'm saying? I like, it. uh-huh. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> see and and i won't do the emotional masochism it's cool see everyone I, has their i got nothing everyone has their i got nothing <laughs> <laughs> shit <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited right now best interview ever <laughs> look there, it, during the puppy play interview one do you realize where i also had a crisis where i was like shit i've got those tendencies too <laughs> yeah See, this is what happens when you've reached my advanced years of life. 
You have a better understanding of yourself. You're still learning. I'm still a baby. My young Padawan. (laughs) (laughs) Person who's been in BDSM for, what, six, seven years versus literally half my life. Yeah, I learn faster. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see that? Should I turn this up for you? (laughs) Wow. See? She's a bitch. (laughs) Sadist. I'm also a sadist. And you like the emotional masochism, so it makes everybody happy. That's true. (laughs) We're a match made in hell? Podcast podcast heaven. (laughs) Sure. I was going with hell, but we'll go with that. Um, So is there anything else you would like to ask? Any other epiphanies you have had, my dear, during this? No, I'm about done with my damn epiphanies for the day. Thank you. That's just giving me, like, all kinds of thoughts. Well, oh, yeah. Lee, I cannot thank you enough. <laughs> One, for helping her learn she is a masculine. No. Like that alone, worth everything. Damn it. <laughs> look at this face. <laughs> look at look at that face. They are happy too. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Shit. Now I have to go on the uh now I have to go on our Discord and be like, guys. Okay, ready? So say it with me. Say, hi, no, no, I'm no, Dara, no, and I'm a masochist. No, no. Come on, do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Hi, I'm Dara, and I'm... Come on, you can do it. We're supporting you. Go, I do have, it. I have masochistic tendencies. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> okay, and we're not going to tell anybody that that happened. Let that be a surprise. Do you know how many of them are going to be shrieking into the Discord... Uh- like ether? yes yes exactly oh my god well, that's why it's gonna we're gonna perfect. get reactions of people screaming in their cars Yay! yes i know <laughs> it'll be perfect thank you for your assistance in this <laughs> oh, my humiliating experience oh, like of my film? life Ooh, i like it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right Lee, since we have told everybody what an amazing wonderful book this is can you please tell everybody where they can get a copy of this great book? plug that shit oh yes my book hurt so good the science and culture of pain on purpose is available pretty much wherever books are sold it's also available as an audiobook which i narrated myself and Ooh, as a little inside cool. tip on that audiobook when i got to the studio to record the audiobook i found out that the studio where I was recording actually used to be my ballet studio as a child. So the whole oh, wow. audiobook is haunted. I love yeah. it. It's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Now I got to get the audio version. There you go. It's fun. That's cool. Do you do you have any like is there anything that just kind of happens during the audio that I should listen to because now that you know it's haunted? Now that I know it's haunted, I really want to listen to it. Well, I did um there's one There's one chapter in the book that is, I feel like, the most difficult chapter to read, and that is about self-harm and where the line is. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have a lot of trauma from ballet because in that building, these old, mean dance teachers, like, hit me because I was busty, and I was just filled with fury, and I was really just upset. And so, when I was recording that chapter, for the lunch break, I went upstairs and I snuck in to the other part of the building and um, just flicked off every room in the building, just ran around quietly whispering, fuck you and making tiny birds and just flicking off every tiny little room in that building. 
That's and awesome. I went back downstairs and finished the recording. I just had to get, I was just like, you know what? I'm in this fucking building. I'm going to go tell some ghosts to fuck off. So I did. That's awesome. I, I love it. Fuck you, ghosts. Yeah, no, it felt, it feels so good to be out of that world. It was so, it was so harmful and it was so cruel. Yeah. And to be so joyous on the other side and just really loving being in a body. I never thought I'd be here. It's really wonderful. I quit ballet when I was 10. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. I never took ballet. I was, you know, I was you know why? I grew boobs. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. My boobs came yeah. in late. So I was like, I was basically lied to. I thought I wasn't going to get them. And then I was like 17 and it was like, surprise, right? The more athletic you are, the less likely you are to get boobs. That's what you're told, right? Yeah. And then, nope, <laughs> there they came. But uh, where can people follow you on social media? I am at Voracious Brain, one word, on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. Oh, yay. Another we'll one to, bites we'll the to follow dust. you on TikTok, yes. <laughs> well, wait, if you really want to know true masochism, join TikTok. That's it's really I'm, perfect yeah. for us. <laughs> I'm very new I just to watch it. dog videos. Yeah. Yeah, well, then don't make them. How's that? Don't just be on TikTok. Make TikToks, and then you'll understand. Oh, Ada will love that. Yeah. She'd love to be a TikTok superstar, but you know what? I, we can't do it because I couldn't even keep up with her on um, on IG on Instagram. <laughs> I did like three. I will be yeah. I will be so doing she'll... some uh, some some pain based science education on TikTok this year involving yes. pain stunts, and uh, it's kind of like Bill Nye meets Jackass. So follow me on TikTok. Okay, that's not <laughs> that's coming spring. And, uh, Sounds like my happy place. Right, me too. I love my job. Oh, she'll she'll be she'll be following you the uh, instant oh, totally. you start this up. Well, they made fun of me because the last time we had BDSM party, I had three scenes lined up, and in between mm. scene one and scene two, I was topping for the first two and then bottoming for the last one. In between the the first scene and the second scene, I had extra time on my hand and I got bored, so I took out my stapler and I just started stapling my thighs. <laughs> And people are looking at me going, what are you doing? I went, I don't know, I was bored. And like, so you, you're stapling your thighs because you're bored? I went, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something to do. Just not. And then I, and then, so I did, I did staples on both thighs and um, put ribbon through that and made little corsets oh, like on my thighs. Mm -hmm. And then when I topped the, the next scene, I kept them in. Oh, you could feel them tugging. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. So that way, you want to talk about fun? So I was giving, but I was receiving too, because I kept it kept tugging that's, and giving me pain. Good. It, was, it was like perfection. <laughs> yeah, told you. Hi, I'm Rara. I'm a mascus. Remember how we started this whole thing? Well, we will give <laughs> we will give the links to your social media, and we'll give. Um, I know I got the book off of Amazon, so I'll, I'll we'll include the Amazon link to your book in the show notes. Thank you. But thank thank you, Lee. This has been. As a masochist, this has been perfection, and I am so excited to to tell you how much I loved the book, oh. to tell you how much it spoke to me, mm -hmm. and to tell you how much I love you for making her admit she has masochistic tendencies. Yay. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been so wonderful. I really love what I do, and getting to talk about it uh, with people who want to dig in with me is like the best, so thank you. And I'm going to say, I really love the psychology behind it, but fuck you both for what you have done to me. Okay, there we go. That's fair. All right. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> because that might have hurt. A little bit? A little bit. Yes. It hurt so Pain! What? Did it hurt so good? It did. It hurt so good. I was, I was hoping you would... <laughs> Win! <laughs> okay. Good place.
place to end. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If you have a question you would like answered or just have a story about the lifestyle you want to share, you can send us a voicemail and maybe it'll be shared in a future episode. Just go to pinkkinkpodcast.com to contact us. Follow us on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, we are Pink Kink Podcast. And on TikTok, we are The Pink Kink Podcast. Join our Facebook group, Pink Kink Podcast, and hang out with other pink kinksters. If you love what we do and are able to support us, we are on Patreon. Just look for us on patreon.com slash pinkkinkpodcast. And check out our Pink Kink swag available on our website, pinkkinkpodcast.com. Even if you can't show your support financially, there are other ways you can help. You can spread the word about our kinky podcast and tell your friends about us. You can also rate and review Pink Kink Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The five-star reviews really help us. And don't forget to subscribe to Pink Kink so you don't miss a minute of the fun. New episodes come out every Friday. So until next time, stay pretty, stay safe, and stay twisted.